Mac Power Users, Episode 84, The Setup Show. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. Uh, today, we're going to talk about something that's probably been one of our most requested shows from our listeners, and that is our setups. Yeah. I don't know. This, this show feels extremely narcissistic to me, but <laughs> we have got a lot of emails asking about it, so I guess we'll do it anyway. Well, and, and, and I hope that we won't just, you know, list off a laundry list of I have this and I have that and I have this and I have that and a bunch of me twos and, and maybe get into some of the explanation of, of why we have what we have and how we use what we have and, and maybe skip over some of the, the less interesting stuff. And, and hopefully people will find either some things that they just can't live without or some interesting ways to use the things that they already have. That's the plan. Let's That's do it. All right. Uh, so basically what we're going to talk about is, is this is what you and I use at home on the go and uh, what we do with our, with our iOS devices. Yes. So uh, we both have, I think, the same primary sh- machine. My, my main machine is a MacBook Air Core 2 Duo, which is the previous generation back, the top of the line model that you could get, the 2.13 gigahertz, you know, four gigs of RAM, 256 gigabyte solid state drive. Um, I absolutely love this machine. I was very skeptical about making the switch from a MacBook Pro to a MacBook Air, and I have not regretted it for a minute. Yeah, this is this is the I bought it in October 2010. It was a uh, it was a top of the line 13 inch MacBook Air at the time. Right. You know when they essentially relaunched the MacBook Air, and I, I love that. I I still use it all the time. Although I am looking forward to replacing it in the not too distant future if everything works out. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I may have one more revision in me, but but it depends. Now, this is my primary machine. Would you call this your primary machine, or is it now your road machine? Um, not really. I I think I have two primary machines because I have an iMac that I use at home all the time. Okay. But I use my laptop at the office every day for hours on end. So I would say that I I'm not sure which one I use more. Maybe I use the laptop more, but. I, you know, for some serious work, I use the, the big iMac. But this laptop is pretty much with you 24-7. It it goes with you to the office. It comes with you back home and back and forth every yeah. day. Yeah. I take it with me um, in a lot of places. Although I have to say with the, the iPad, I don't take the laptop with me as much as you'd think. Okay. When I go to court or I'm going to be in mediation all day tomorrow, using my, my iPad skills, I've got everything I need just on the iPad. Well, my MacBook Air really is a desktop replacement for me. I, of course, wish it had a little more horsepower when I'm doing some graphics intensive stuff. And, you know, mainly when I'm editing and exporting the podcast is pretty much the heaviest you know, processor intensive thing that I that I do on a weekly basis. But when I'm at home, it sits on my desk connected to a 24 inch cinema display and I've got it sitting atop one of those Griffin eye curves. So it's, it's up on a level where it's pretty even with the top of the display. And I have a keyboard mouse and I guess now a magic trackpad that's connected to it. So I really don't use it as a laptop a good 50 plus percent of the time. It's, it's at home functioning as a desktop. Now, how do you like the magic trackpad? Cause I, you said that in a recent show that and you you're like, wait, that. I don't understand. Why do you have a trackpad when you have a trackpad on your MacBook air? 
Well, yeah, I didn't know that you had it elevated. Right. But the um but you know that's kind of a controversial thing. Some people think that it's just kind of ridiculous, I think 60 or 70 dollar slab of metal and it's not as good as a mouse and some people love it. So I'd just like to hear about that. Well, I have mixed emotions. I I originally bought a Magic Trackpad for my Mac Mini which is connected to my TV and I use the magic trackpad on my um, coffee table. So I wanted something that was small and I didn't want to be rolling a mouse around. And the magic trackpad is great because it's, you know, just sits on a table. And I thought, okay, fine. And I can use the magic trackpad connect to my MacBook air when I want. And I really prefer a mouse to a trackpad because I've got some um, RSI issues in my hand and a mouse is just more comfortable to me. I, for years loved, uh, the Logitech MX Revolution mice, and they don't make them anymore, and they're becoming harder and harder to find. So I switched over to a Logitech Performance MX, which has the same ergonomic form factor, but is a slightly different mouse. The Magic Trackpad I bought, because I noticed when I was editing our podcast, I would be mousing around quite a bit, and you could hear my mousing, and you could hear my clicking on the podcast. And I would, I would sometimes my, I have a, a tray below my desk with my, my keyboard and mouse. And sometimes I would bring the mouse up to, to desk level. So my magic trackpad really sits on desk level. I tell you what I would like to do because I have a friend who does this and I just think it's the coolest thing to sit and watch. I would like to get my skills such to the point where I could have uh, my magic trackpad. I'm right-handed, my magic trackpad on my left hand and my mouse on my right hand and control them both at the same time. Yeah, that's pretty nerdy yeah. right there. Yeah. So we'll see. So I have an interesting story on this trackpad. I uh, I always have been, I've always used the trackpad on my laptops. I've never really felt the need of yanking a mouse around with my laptop. And I noticed that the RSI problems I have, I guess this is an RSI show too, is is a lot of times my, my right index finger, my clicky finger. Yeah. And it actually gets worse when I use a mouse a lot. So when I realized that, I, I started using a Magic Trackpad at home. This was shortly after the, the Magic Trackpad came out, and it really helps. And I can click with any finger because I just use it where you just touch it to tap. I don't use it where you have to physically press it down. You know, there's a setting for that. And that way I can kind of distribute the load between the clicky stuff. I'm sure I'm not as fast on it as a precision mouse would be, but I don't play a lot of games and it it works just fine. I'm going to ask you a question that may sound odd, but it was bizarre to me until I saw it in person. When you use your magic trackpad or your trackpad, just let's just say your trackpad on your MacBook Air, do you use it one-handed or two-handed? One-handed. That's see now I always thought that was the right answer that I mean who in their right mind uses their trackpad two-handed, right? Yeah, that I, doesn't even I make have, sense to me. That's that's madness. I have seen so many people who and I think it goes back to traditional trackpads before before Apple's trackpad that that used to have that bar that you would click on. I've seen a lot of people use their trackpad you know, with maybe their right hand to do the movement and their left hand to click. Were they all hippies? No. Do they do a lot of drugs or something? I don't That's know. That's just weird. I don't know what it is. And I, and I try to correct them every time I see it. I was like, you know, why don't you try doing that with, with one hand? Or And it's just, hmm, it drives me up the walls. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing a freaky thing by only using it one-handed. Well, at least not using your trackpad one-handed. Yeah. So... 
I, we'll, we'll you know, I, I like the Magic that, Trackpad. Sure. I've had it, and I don't use a mouse anymore. Uh, and now my wife, she can't stand the Magic Trackpad; makes her crazy. I, I, you know, I'll tell you, I tried the Magic Mouse, and I couldn't stand it. It's very low profile. Yeah, it was just like a handling a bar of soap. Yeah. And so I think really my my uh, the reason I'm using this magic trackpad so much is the ergonomics of it, the way I use it. And and I really fully adopted all the gestures. I use all of them all the time. So it's nice having it all and and now that I use it both at on my iMac and at home on my um laptop, I've got the ability to just use those gestures everywhere because when I you're using a mouse you're going to miss them. Well, and and that's something that you can really increase your productivity in your time if you take the time to learn those gestures. And if you go into the system preferences in the magic track or in the trackpad preferences, Apple's got little video tutorials that will show you about them, but you can, that's one of the reasons why I want to become kind of ambidextrous and, and learn how to use the trackpad with my left hand and the mouse with my right hand, because I think that would just be awesome. I think that's weird. So, okay. So I can just, what are you commander data over there? You accused me of that before. Right? I did. Yes. I think that would be just so cool. Can you imagine how many people you would freak out when they came into your office and saw you uh, flicking and, and moving and all that stuff? Yeah. You know, we talked about this, I think, in a very recent show, but Better Touch Tool is an amazing app if you want to get good with the trackpad. Yeah. Because you can add a bunch of stuff to it. And I'm going to go ahead and put a link for that in the show notes. Okay. Free. And I think we just talked about it last week. I think so. It allows you to add additional gestures to your trackpad. Okay, I think we've talked about the trackpad enough. All right, well, well, let's talk about something else that I know is very near and dear to your heart, and let's talk about keyboards. Okay, All right. I'm there. Do you, do you have your clackety keyboard with you? Uh, okay, there's a funny story about that. I don't, is the answer. Whoa. We use, we, I used to use it all the time Okay. In the when we recorded the show. I guess we should probably define this as something other than your clackety keyboard. Yeah, well, I used a Matthias Tactile Pro 3 okay. for couple of years now right i grew up using those old extended apple IBM keyboards yeah. and oh you, you know, didn't even that, use the apple II extended keyboard did you well no I, when i was on a mac back then but the the original mac didn't use the apple extended keyboard i had the the really cool one and when i first started it had a very small footprint oh yeah it was just the keys there was no rim around it didn't even have arrow keys that you know, I was so sold on the mac from the beginning and that's another thing i liked about it it, it didn't have like a battleship keyboard so I used the mechanical switch keyboards for years and years and years, and I like to use them on the Mac too. And when Apple went to these chiclet style keyboards, I don't know what to call it. Does that work? Sure. Yeah, the ones they're yeah. they're using now. And they started putting those with the iMac. I said, you know, that's not going to work. So I went and bought this Tactile Pro Three. And here I'm gonna I'm gonna actually clack on it for a minute here. So that, here it is. Chase used it on the show all the time. It made everybody crazy. Right. And we got a lot of complaints about it. So I finally caved in and I, I'm using an Apple wireless keyboard when we record the show. I've been doing that now for about six months. But just for purposes of the show, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I put it in a drawer and then when we're done with the show, I turn it off and go back to clickety-clack. And everybody's all excited and exercised about this DAS keyboard. Yeah. So I wrote them, and they loaned me one for a month. In fact, I'm getting ready to mail it back to them. And I have a post going up at Max Sparky in the next day or two, so it'll already be up by the time you hear the show. And it's a different – it uses these cherry switches. And so 
it actually engages the key about halfway down. It's, it's just a different mechanic. Here, I'm going to click that now. So that, that, that's a very different sound than the last one I just showed you. It, it's not as um, springy, I guess is the word. Right. Um, so it's a different sound. It's also a different feel. Uh, I think the Tactile Pro 3 is a little mushier, but not in a bad way. But it's it's a little mushier, whereas the the desk keyboard is a little firmer, I believe. So anyway, I've been using these for like a couple months. And, and when they send me these loaners, sometimes I end up at the end saying, you know what, just send me a bill and I'm going to buy it. Right. And and I've been struggling with that question as I went through this. And in fact, last night I was writing the review for this desk keyboard. And there's a lot of things I like about it, uh, particularly the feel of the switches. I think the switches are a little better. And I think I'm maybe a little faster on it. I'm not sure. Uh, because it engages halfway down, it seems like it gives you a little more feedback where you can lick your finger faster. And as we record this, in fact, Sean Blanc just published a, you know, an epic style keyboard review on these clickety clack keyboards. Yeah. Sean is great. Love his stuff. SeanBlanc.com or org. I don't, I'm going to put it in the show notes anyway. So, uh, as I'm writing this, I'm realizing, you know, I'm still, my fingers are sore again because I was typing all day and, and, I'm starting to think that I need to go back to just the basic chiclet keyboard after yeah. all of this, right? Um, there's less travel for my fingers. Do you think it's because the keyboard makes the clackety-clack sound that you just feel like you need to go mad like Beethoven on the keyboard or something? I don't know. I just I grew up with these, these physical mechanical switch keyboards, and they feel more comfortable to me uh, than the the Apple keyboard. But... The more I think about it, my fingers rarely get sore typing on my laptop, and I'm typing on my laptop all the time. And when I find my fingers getting sore and achy, it's when I'm typing on these big keyboards where I believe there's more force involved with pressing the key, and there's more travel for my fingers. And this is just like my own thought. I'm not a doctor or don't have any knowledge about how all this stuff works, but... Right. The more I think about it, I'm thinking maybe even though I don't like the Apple keyboard as much, I might just start using that for a while as an experiment. So, so I think I'm so I think I'm going to send the desk keyboard back, which is very ironic based on a tweet I saw from you. Yes, I yesterday. I have a confession to make. Yeah. Do you hear that? Yeah. 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 So, um, I I picked up one of these desk keyboards because. I, it's, it's, I like the clackety clack. There is something about this that the sound of a clackety keyboard to me is like rain on a tin roof. I could sleep to that sound. It just, something is so comforting about that to me. I don't know. Maybe it makes you feel like you're getting more done. I I love it too. I've been using them for years. Right. I will tell you, I, I got this keyboard yesterday as, as the time we're recording the show. I love the sound. I love the feel. But for the past 10 years plus, I have been using a variety of different ergonomic keyboards, which are, if you've ever seen them, they're the ones that have that kind of V-shaped, that inverted V-shaped split in the middle. Yeah. So your your wrists are at a different angle. I've been using them at home. I've been using them at work. I've been yeah, pretty much everywhere except for when I'm typing on my MacBook. I'm using these ergo keyboards. And I am finding it a difficult transition to go back to a normal keyboard. Yeah, I can see that. So I'm, you know, it's it's too early for me to tell whether or not this is going to be a successful transition for me because 
I, I'm mistyping now mainly because I can't, I don't look at the keyboard at all. I'm a touch typist. In fact, right now my, I can't even see my hands because they're, they're actually the way that I'm sitting at my desk. I've got a keyboard drawer and my hands most of the time are under my desk where you can't even see them, which is normally fine. So it, it freaks people out when they come into my office and they don't see my hands, but yet I'm, I'm typing feverishly away. I don't, I don't know if it's, if I'm going to be able to make the transition back from an ergonomic keyboard. I think like anything, it will take time. I will tell you, it makes me nervous. I, I mean, I had a real RSI scare about 15 years ago and they wanted to do surgery and we did injections and we did all of this other stuff. And it was, I mean, it was pretty freaky because at that point I was a freshman in college and I'm sitting here, you know, looking at potentially a computer science major. And, you know, it was kind of one of the reasons why I didn't go into computer science. I, I mean, I'm looking at my life in front of me going, I don't know if I'm physically going to be able to do what I want to do because I don't know if my hand, I mean, it was really bad and I managed to uh, avoid it by, you know, doing ergonomics and, you know, just being more proactive and more cautious about what I was doing. And, you know, like anything, they're good days and bad days, but I've been mostly good. And, uh, so we'll see, we'll have to see whether or not, you know, one keyboard change is going to make a difference. I I doubt it, but we'll see. Well, I, um, I'm with you. I, it, to me, as much as I like my loud keyboard, if my intuition is correct and using this gives me less discomfort, then I'm going to stick with the Apple keyboard. Yeah. So it's it's connected, and it's not going to get disconnected after this podcast. I'm just going to go with this for a month and see what happens. I think that's what I'm going to do. I should mention that the keyboard that I used before is actually the same keyboard that Marco uses, and it's the uh, Microsoft Natural Ergonomic Keyboard. Mine's the 4000. It is a wired keyboard. I've tried the wireless ones before, and I just had problems with them dropping keystrokes. And it, it's a very comfortable keyboard. Yeah. So for my wireless keyboard, I'm currently using the Apple Bluetooth keyboard. One thing I like about it is it doesn't have a number pad, which I, I never use. And <laughs> Oh, see, the lack of a numpad is a deal breaker for me. Okay. Well, see, I like that because the way my setup is, it's easier to get to my trackpad. I don't have to put it as far off. Wow, we are really just like going going here, aren't we? Yeah, nerds and people are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So so let's talk about something else. All right, printers. Do you want to talk about printers? Do yeah, people but print? I don't have much to say. I have an ancient Hewlett Packard laser printer, and every time it stops working, I threaten to take it out and shoot it, and then it works for another couple months. <laughs> Well, I I don't print. I print very little because I am try to go as, as paperless as I can, but I still find that I need some kind of printer. I've been using for years a Canon multifunction. I think this is an MP500 printer that's got a bunch of different ink cartridges that I hate because if you run out of yellow for some reason, you can't print in black and white. And for some reason, I run out of yellow even though I never print yellow. I don't understand how that happens. Well, when my, when my printer finally dies, I'm going to get an AirPrint-friendly printer. Although I don't know how much I'll use it. I've got Printopia installed at my home, and I cannot think of the last time I actually printed something from my iPad either. So we'll see. I'm not that excited about printers. I don't use them very much. Well, that was the one thing that I did want to mention is that you can take just about any printer. Like this Canon multifunction was like, I think it was one of the freebies that you got when you bought a new Mac or something. You can take any printer and make it an airport or an airprint compatible printer with Printopia. Yeah. And that's what I think of a $20 app. Yeah. Uh, Printopia two for Mac. They're out with version two. Now it's $20. 
and it installs on a Mac. You need to have a Mac running in your house for it to work. And it creates basically a virtual print server from your Mac. So when you go to print and using the standard iOS print dialog box, any printer you have set up through that Mac, and it doesn't even have to be connected physically to the Mac so long as the Mac sees the printer on the network, is available to your iPad or your iPhone. And in addition, it allows you to send the document to Dropbox, which is a great way to create PDFs. You can also do it uh, so you can send a document to Evernote, too. Yeah. I, I do so, that sometimes. Twenty dollars. So if if you wanna if you've got a Mac running in your house, then you're good. If you've got a laptop and you shut the lid and it's you know not connected to a monitor and it's not you know working in some way in the background, it's not going to show up. But this iMac I have is always got Printopia running on it. Now I share my printer out on the network with a an Airport Express. I've got a couple of Airport Expresses connected to my network, and I just love those devices. Do you? You want to talk about the network setup or? Yeah, why not? I mean, you go first. Well, you know, I built a new house about six months ago and that was one of them. <laughs> I call her the pretty lady. She, you know, she's this, this very made up sales consultant that you see when she tries to upsell you on all these things when you buy your house and she wants to show you, you know, 14 different colors of grout that you can have for your tile and the different kinds of trim that you can have on your cabinets. And that was all well and good, but I, I was very interested and I had very detailed specifications on how I wanted my network set up and how I wanted my Ethernet drops and where I wanted my ports. Yeah, forget and, forget Marble. Where's my Cat 6? <laughs> yes. Um, she didn't know what that was. And um, that, oh gosh, that was quite a fiasco. But we, we finally figured out that the day before closing, they still didn't have it right. And I just said, guys, we're not closing until this is fixed. Yeah, but they had the... Plugs going the wrong way, but anyway, that's a that's a whole different story. But I, you know, I gave a lot of of thought to to how I was going to build out this network, which I had the luxury of doing during construction. And if you're not building a new house, or if you're not renovating your house and willing to rip out walls and run in wires, um, you know, you can do a lot of this stuff wirelessly. But one of the things that I did when I built my new house is they call it a breakout box. I don't know if that's the technical term for it or if that's just what they called it. But I have a central box. This one happens to be located in my in my laundry room that from the outside of it looks like an electrical panel. But on the inside of it is the termination point for all of the cables in my house. It's the termination point for all my Cat6 cable, all of my um, you know coax cable, all of my telephone cables, which is actually Cat6 cable. It all terminates in that box, and then my cable junction comes into that box. My cable modem is in that box. There's power in that box. I have an Ethernet switch in that box. You know, everything is in that box, and I can route from there. And then I made sure that in every bedroom and multiple drops in multiple places, depending on what I needed, and multiple drops in the living room for the entertainment center, that I had wired ports on different walls so that if I reconfigured furniture that I could have a wired backbone throughout the house. And then I popped an Apple time capsule centrally located in the middle because I knew I was going to have all these wireless devices. So I have a time capsule in the middle that will get good service just about everywhere. And I also have a, a couple of airport expresses that are scattered around. I have one, ironically, in my kitchen because when I cook or and, you know, just centrally located, I like to listen to music. So I have an airport express in my kitchen that's connected to two speakers. And then I have another airport express connected in my office that's connected to a printer and speakers. 
And then in my office setup, because I'm, I'm fairly minimalistic, I've just got my desk with my computer on it. And then all of the extra stuff, like, you know, the printer, and I have a charging station for iPods and iPhones and miscellaneous stuff. All that stuff is stuck in a closet. So you shut the door and all that, cl- that clutter is out of sight, out of mind. Bless you. <laughs> I don't know. When you have kids, it just gets nuts. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I've got, I've got stuff all, I've got textbooks here from high school math and elementary school English and it, it just gets crazy. But uh, my network is not quite as, uh, as advanced as yours. We've just got a cable modem coming in the house. We pay our cable provider for cable internet and that goes into a, um, a time machine. Uh, and it's the first generation. It's before they had the dual band. Hmm. So, and that's, I'm running that on an end speed. And then I have another older, really old time machine attached running G speed. And that one runs a separate network, you know, or a separate band at least. So, so you've created older, your own dual band network. Essentially, yes. Right. So the older devices in the house, because everything gets handed down. Some of the kids, the Macs and stuff don't even have in-speed routers in them or, or um, airport cards. So there's a separate network for them without dragging down the faster devices. And... It works. It all works. Uh, you know, I, I do use a power line adapter, which is kind of interesting because my my studio is a corner of my bedroom. We have a, a, a relatively small house. I don't have an extra room to make an office. And Well, I won't so, when I have kids, so don't worry. Yeah. So we, I've got a power line adapter, which means that down by my router, I've got an Ethernet cord going into basically the, the light socket, you know, the plug for the socket the electrical yeah. plug right the electrical, electrical socket. Outlet. Yeah. yeah excuse me i really haven't been drinking but <laughs> whenever we record these shows after a long day at work uh i do get kind of weird you're but plugging anyway. the ethernet port into the light bulb okay gotcha uh, you know what i mean yeah. okay so anyway then upstairs in my my office slash bedroom i have a separate plug that matches it so it essentially runs the internet through the electrical line upstairs so i've got a hard wire in and I just do that for the podcast, frankly, because when I was doing it with Wi-Fi, occasionally things would get funny, and you know that's not good. And I think I paid about a hundred bucks for those. I bought it at uh, Best Buy mm-hmm. probably two years ago, and I'm sure they're better and faster now. But it, it worked. The reason I bought it at Best Buy because I wasn't convinced it would work, and I wanted to be able to return it easily without having to, you know, go to the post office. Right. And um, and it worked fine. So and I'm still using it, so I'm I'm happy with that. Now, what kind of speech do you think you're getting off of this? Uh, I, you know, I've run different speed tests. It's not any faster than Wi-Fi, but it seems more stable. Because well, from what I've heard, is you tend to get about half of the advertised speed, but but you tend to get it if you have a good connection. It tends to be pretty reliable. You either well, you my, either get it or you don't. I th- I think my bottleneck is is the internet. It's not inside my wires. Okay. And do you happen to know, and, and I don't know how these work, I've heard it different ways, you don't have to be on the same circuit, correct? I don't think I am on the same circuit, and it right. works. Right. Okay. I I used Powerline over Ethernet adapters in my previous house to, to hook up a TiVo and some other things where I couldn't run cables up and down the wall, and I use them you know, upstairs, downstairs. I My experience has been that they don't tend to do well when there's any kind of interference. They don't work, for example through surge protectors or power strips or things like that. No, and they tell you right on the on the tin. I don't you need to plug it directly read. into the wall. What? I said I don't read. 
<laughs> well, if you don't read, don't plug it into a surge protector or it won't work. Yes, there you go. There's a lot of them. I'm just looking on online as we talk. And it looks like they're probably better and faster. But when I first got it, I did some speed tests of moving files within the home network, you know, from the base station to the Mac. And it was definitely faster than wireless was. Uh, So scanners. There's only one answer to that question. (laughs) Well, I have three answers to that question, but okay. (laughs) No, I really love my ScanSnap. It's a great, it's a great device. Yeah, I've but, got one at work and I've got one at home. Yeah, but I was going to say I've got three different scan snaps. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. I've got the um I've got the scan snap. The um S fifteen hundred M is actually on my desk, and then I've got a different model at work and a different model that mainly is in my briefcase and comes out only when I travel and need it. I also do have a flatbed scanner on that that Canon multifunction printer. But I so the the printer won't scan wirelessly. You know, sometimes if you need to scan a, a provision out of a book or something, you need a, a flatbed scanner. Yeah. So if I needed to, I could hook that up via USB. And I like the ability to have that if I need it, but I don't. I also got recently they sent me a demo unit of um, one of those Doxy scanners, and I'm just starting to use that. And my experience is that it's convenient um, in terms of if you need to get a quick scan of something here or there. And I think the, the software is, is interesting. I, I'm just not sure that it fills a need that I have yet. Okay. So I have a doc C2 and I like it. I use it occasionally. And what I like about it is those instances where I'm out and about and I don't have my Mac with me. Right. That's true. I want to record and I want to capture a document thing runs on batteries you don't even have to plug it into the wall so uh, i find it very useful at like for an attorney mediations document examinations at opposing counsel's office depositions maybe and uh, i'll just grab a document and grab a scan of it really quick with a doxy and it scares the hell out of the other guy (laughs) and you've got the it captures the document you've got the wi-fi card i've actually got the wi-fi card the i-fi i'm sorry is what it's called right no, I don't have that. I, but they have one that's got an iFi card in it, so you can wirelessly beam it to, I guess, your iPad. Right. Um, but I, I ha- it has the SD card in it, so I just scan to the SD card, and using the Apple Camera Connection kit, I can can kit. I can just stick the SD card in there and have it on my iPad. Okay, mine came with the iFi card, which is the wireless. They like you better. Yeah, they did. Apparently. Which came with the uh, wireless SD card. And that's pretty cool because you can configure that a couple of different ways. One is you can use it just like you're using it, just like a regular SD card. The other is if you have it connected to a known network, which it knows my network here and I can set it up to know my network at the office, probably wouldn't work like at an opposing counsel's office or something where I may or may not know their their network credentials. But you can have it automatically beam. Um, by default, it will automatically beam to a folder on your Mac, and I've got it set up to beam to a folder on my Mac that's actually in my Dropbox, so I've got it multiple places, and then it will connect up with the Doxy software, or you can have it beam so that you can interface with it on the iFi servers, or you can have it beam to a service like Dropbox or Flickr or something like that. So one of the places that I would like to see myself using the iFi is, like, my problem is is when I come in with the mail on the kitchen counter, 
I just want to deal with it right there. And if I could set the, the iFi on the kitchen counter and scan whatever needs to be dealt with as it comes in and it would just go into my Evernote inbox, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I, I don't have a, maybe I need to get an iFi card because I'm, I'm thinking if I created a, um, a Wi-Fi network or a, with my iPad, you know, hotspot. Right. Why not? Yeah. I bet it would work. Hey, let's take a break real quick and talk about our first sponsor, 1Password. You know, 1Password is the best solution on the Mac for creating your safe and secure passwords and tracking them with the various websites and services you use. Yeah. And I guess I really shouldn't say just the Mac because they're out now for Windows PC, iPhone, Android. They're on all the platforms. I use 1Password all the time on my Windows machine at work. In fact, just today, I had a situation where... I had set up an account for something work-related and somebody emailed me and said, I, I need our logon information for XYZ account. And I logged into my 1Password account on my PC at work and sent it to them. And of course, the password that I sent them was some ridiculously long, totally random, something that is not even near pronounceable with random characters and random numbers and and symbols that, you know, at my office, and I'm ashamed to say, you know, I mean, they're they're used to, pretty bad passwords. And the email that I got back was, where did this come from? Yeah. First you scared them, but then they realize you have got it together. Yes. And all it is, is this one password application because it creates those passwords for you. You don't have to scratch your head or just randomly mash the keyboard to get a random password. It it does it for you. And you can do settings there that are pretty cool. You can tell it don't use keys that look familiar to other keys like L and one or O and zero. Yeah. So it, it will make a good secure password for you, but it won't have those kinds of problems in it. Um, there's different formats of the passwords. It can put dashes in or no dashes, or you can say, make it pronounceable so you can remember it phonetically. It, you know, it creates these passwords for you. And then once it creates them, it saves them for you. So, not only have you got the benefit of a great password, you don't have to remember it. It does all that for you. And it syncs everything over Dropbox very securely. So you can be sitting on your Mac or your PC at work or your iPad or whatever device you're using that, that supports one password and have access to all those great passwords. It really just changes your game. And yeah, the people at one password have it together. They are always ahead of the curve when it comes to development. In fact, just this week, they released one password version 3.8.19 for Mac. It's available in the Mac app store and it contains a number of improvements, which includes the ability to play nice with mountain lion. So mountain lion isn't even released yet. They've just got a couple of developer previews in and one password is already ready for it. So it's completely ready for Mountain Lion, and it's completely ready with gatekeeper support. And uh, they just, they're, you know that they're going to be there on day one. And so, believe me, I wouldn't be moving to Mountain Lion if 1Password wasn't ready. Yeah. And there's so many apps that wait until after a new operating system releases. Not not 1Password. They've got it in the beta. It's already working. All right. So maybe maybe now I can start running the beta then. Okay. Go crazy. Go crazy. So you can find more information about 1Password on their website over at OnePassword.com. They're available everywhere. You can get them in the Mac App Store for $49.99. 
They've got a Mac and Windows bundle available on their own side for $69.99. If you want them on their iOS device, they're there too. You can get a Pro bundle for $14.99 that will work on both the iPad and the iPhone. Or you can get either device if you just have an iPad or just have an iPhone for $9.99. And if you use the link in our show notes, you can save 20% off off of anything that you purchase from the Agile Bit store. So be sure you check it out. You know, I just got an email the other day from a listener about 1Password saying that he finally decided to try it after I've been yammering about it for so long. And he can't believe he didn't didn't do it sooner. Yeah. I, if you're that guy out there, you know, just go get it. I, I can't say that enough. This isn't just someone who's paying us to say something. We love this product. Uh, and we we love all our sponsors, really. But but I think 1Password is, is mandatory. You should just have it on your computer. It mm-hmm. just saves you so much trouble. And in this age, I think it's just necessary. So uh, thank you, 1Password, for your support of the show. All right. So we were we got through the keyboard dilemma. I think so, yes. We got but, through the scanner talk. Yes. You want to talk external storage? Yeah, we can talk about external storage. Yeah, because you're, you're all droboed out over there. I am all droboed out over here. I have got a Drobo FS that is connected to my network. And that's just about it. You know, I mean, I used to be one of those people that had hard drives stacked on top of hard drives and hard drives in the closet and hard drives in the drawer and hard drives coming out of my ears. And I'd have to constantly plug them in and make sure that they would spin up and work and make sure that I had backups and backups of my backups. And I've pretty much, I'm, I'm down to three devices. Now I have my Drobo. I have a single hard drive that is a terabyte drive. doesn't even need to be that big, but that just happens to be what it is, um, that I use physically connected to my machine for clone backups. And then I have a portable drive that I use when I'm on the road for, for backups when traveling. That's it. So I bought the second generation Drobo. It was uh, had a slightly bigger fan. It was quieter. And as I said earlier, my home office is in the bedroom and I didn't like all the lights on it and the noise. So I eventually moved it downstairs to a different computer. And my, my iMac, which I haven't really talked about is last year's iMac. It's a great iMac, but it has a 256 gigabyte SSD, which is kind of awesome for a home computer, but it's not enough to hold all my data, especially when I'm working on screencasts and movie files and things like that. So attached to it, I have a Western Digital 1 terabyte FireWire 800 drive that I've had for two or three years. And I'm really looking at these Thunderbolt drives because mm. my iMac has a Thunderbolt drive. And the fact that I have a computer with a port that I've never used makes me a little crazy. I need yeah. to buy something to plug into that. So um, I've been looking at the the reviews and I need something that, one, doesn't have a lot of lights on it. So it doesn't light up my bedroom or I have to put black tape on it or something. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, electrical tape will fix that. Yeah. And I think more importantly, I'm not looking with for something that's particularly loud. I don't need it to be super, super fast. I'm not, you know, streaming, you know, uh, super high definition video to it. Uh, I'm just using it to uh, record screencasts and audio files and things like that. Uh, I just saw today Macworld had a review of the Western Digital Thunderbolt drive, which wasn't the fastest of the drives, but it's big and it uses those green drives, which means it doesn't use much power and it doesn't have a fan inside of it. And the light is very tiny on it and you can run it as RAID 0 or RAID 1. So uh, I'm pretty sure one of those is in my future. I just want to wait until I have a little more money set aside for something like that. This is like $500 and... 
you know, I need to think about it a little longer. But eventually, I think I'm going to have a Thunderbolt drive attached to this computer. Well, I can only think, and I have no inside knowledge here, but Drobo's on top of this stuff. I got to think it's only a matter of time before they have a Thunderbolt capable drive. Yeah, I, th- I think that would be pretty awesome if they did. It's just a, a you know a question of of cost and how feasible is it. But I really like the FS because it's connected to the network, so I can be sitting out on my back patio, which is within the range of my Wi-Fi network on my MacBook Air, and access any of my iTunes media that's stored on my Drobo FS. Yeah, as long as I'm nice. home, I have access to the drive. And, and, and you've got the copper all throughout your house, so it's going right. to be really fast. Right. Are you saving your time machine uh, backup to that as well? No, my time machine backup is going to my time capsule. But I I am backing up to that additionally via CrashPlan. So CrashPlan is a service that will let you back up to their cloud. And I love CrashPlan. I switched to them off of, I think Mosey is what I was originally using. And then they changed some of their terms and got a little more restrictive. And they were no longer, you know, they were kind of unlimited asterisk. And so I use CrashPlan now. So CrashPlan backs up the the hard drive of my MacBook Air or the user folder of my MacBook Air. But I also have a second, because, you know, I'm I'm all about backups. I have a secondary backup going to my Drobo. And then I actually have, because CrashPlan will back up external drives, which if you mount the Drobo via AFP, CrashPlan will see it as an external drive. So I have like a terabyte plus of data that's on my Drobo backed up to the CrashPlan cloud. So not only is it redundant on my Drobo in case I have a drive failure, which I have before. I mean, can I tell you how freaky that is the first time it happens when you have a drive failure on your Drobo? I was at work and they've got this thing called the Drobo dashboard that will notify you. I had it set up to give me email notifications and I got this email notification, critical warning, a drive has failed, you know, reprocessing or repurposing. I don't remember what it said. It, It freaked me out and I could not wait to get home that night. And I got home that night and the lights were blinking on my Drobo and, you know, the, the blinking lights that mean don't do anything, I'm working, leave me alone, just go away and mind your own business. And when I got up the next morning, the lights were all green again. You know, the, the drive that had died, of course, said, you know, take me out, I'm dead. But it had fixed everything. So. Yeah, for You know, in Southern California, we don't have, like, many problems with power surges or lightning strikes. But, you know, we get riots and earthquakes. Mm. Uh, but the good news is I've never had much of a problem with power and my my electronic gear. But sure enough, about a year or two ago, we had a power surge, and it zapped the first drive in my inside my Drobo. I mean, it just wiped it. I mean, power surge. I, I immediately as soon as I looked down, there was a red light, and uh, I just replaced that one drive, and everything went back, and I didn't lose any data. That's that's pretty good testimony. Yeah. Now, being in Florida, which is the lightning capital of the world, and although we don't have power outages per se from the power company, you know, we we do tend to get some weather down here and we do get get some zaps. You know, our my policy down here is is I have a a whole house surge suppression system put on the house which doesn't keep the power from from flickering, but I think it gives you some protection from I guess what they're called the the drops in the line when it the power doesn't go out but it surges or it drops. But I've got APCs, I've got battery backups on anything that's of any importance. So I've got my MacBook Air plugged into it. I've got all my computers plugged into an APC and I've got my Drobo plugged into one. Okay. Well, in addition to my MacBook Air, I also have an iMac. And 
I, like I said, I bought it last year. It is a 3.4 gigahertz core i7 with 16 gigabytes of RAM, and I love love wow. love this computer. Yeah, I I went crazy on the RAM. The I bought it from, I think I bought it from OWC. They had a deal, uh, but you know, you it it was like about a hundred bucks or 150. It wasn't too much. And it's just crazy because when I do video stuff for the various projects I'm working on with screencasts and whatnot, this thing just screams through it. Now, do you have the dual drives in there where you've got the SSD and the physical drive? Did you say no, that? No, I don't. And I knew I wanted to get a loaded iMac, but I always buy from the refurb store. Okay. And I just started watching until, you know, the one I wanted showed up and they had one with a one terabyte internal drive. Okay. Spinning drive, and they had one with a 256 gigabyte SSD, and and each one was like a thousand dollars off the list price. It was a great deal, but you know those things go really fast. And I'd been watching for a couple months, so I'm saying, okay, I'm ready to pull the trigger on one of these. And I, ultimately, I decided on the SSD because I figured once FireWire gets its legs, I can get a very fast connection to an external drive with a lot of data, but. For the boot up stuff, I'm just so spoiled by this SSD on my uh, MacBook Air that I'd like to have it on my my iMac as well. Right. I love that computer. Yeah. I love both of my computers. See, the only other really piece of gear I use with my computer that I haven't talked about here is the, these Focal speakers, and that's another one where I did a review at Max Sparky like three years ago, and it's a, a pair of satellite speakers with a subwoofer. And they're not cheap. They were like $300. And, you know, the time came to send them back, and I just wrote them a check because <laughs> they're just really great speakers. And I, I listen to music all the time when I'm working and goofing around. And because it's in the bedroom, it, it the, this 27-inch iMac serves as a television as well. Or I guess a, a movie. We watch movies on it. We don't really have it hooked up to a television signal. But we watch, um, like, Hulu on it and things like that. So I thought I'd have a nice pair of speakers, too. You know, you could hook it up to a TV signal with like an ITV or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I could, but you know, I don't watch much TV, so it's not, I'm not really missing much. Well, my other computer, which is a relatively new addition to my family, and I'm really glad I got it, is a Mac Mini, which is yeah, and a, that's your server, right? It is. It is my server. It, but it before we get to purposes. that, yeah. let's do a sponsor because yeah. that, I think this is going to take a while. I want to talk about this server. All right. Because you've got to explain to me what the point is. I don't get it. You don't get it. I I will explain it to you. So let's talk about Fujitsu first, though. We've oh. already talked about Fujitsu a little bit during the show. Um, they're one of our newer sponsors. We're really happy to have them on board because they make the premier scanners for the Mac and probably all computers, really. In fact, in my office, you know, everybody comes to me and asks what to buy whenever something breaks. And we have actually some tenants in our in our law firm. It's not just us. We've got people who sublease from us. And at this point, I walked around the office today in anticipation of the show, and I counted seven different Fujitsu ScanSnap scanners on desks <laughs> around my office. And that's all my fault. Because they, they come to me and say, you just get the Fujitsu, and then everybody loves it. Um, they've got three models that are appropriate for the, the Mac. They've got the S1500M, which is the desktop model. That's the, you know, the super scanner. You can put 50 sheets in it. The thing zips through it. It's duplex mode, so it scans both sides of the paper. It's even got a sensor in there that, that pings it to see if there's it fed two instead of one sheet um, really fast. That's the one I use. I love it all the time. Just, I have it connected to my computer. 
As I go through the mail, I just flip that open and press the blue button and everything happens. It's magic. And then there's the S1300, which is a more portable version, but it's a, it's a little bigger than a you know ultra-slim travel scanner, but it's got extra beef because it's got a sheet feeder, which you don't usually get. It can hold up to 10 sheets. Not quite as fast as the S1500, but it will fit in a briefcase or luggage, and you can take it with you, which is pretty nice. I always call that the hotel room scanner. I'm just getting ready to start trial. I'm going to be up in L.A. in a hotel for a couple of weeks. I'm going to have that S1300 in my hotel room the whole time. And then there is the 1100, which is the ultra-portable scanner. It just plugs in with a USB cord. It's like a, a wand. you know. It's it's even smaller than the DoxyGo we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it doesn't have any battery in it. You just plug it in your Mac, you stick your paper in there, and, and you're off to the races. I mean, these are, I think, the best scanners available for the Mac. Yeah, that's the scanner that I use all the time when I'm in mediation and I need to scan documents back and forth to get a decision made. And I have settled cases literally because I've had that scanner and I've been able to get files where they needed to be. One of the things that I really like about the Fujitsu's and just the, really the paperless lifestyle is that they've made my life simple in so many ways. I just eliminating this paper clutter from my life has been a blessing because I can just find anything now because when you scan it through, you can select it. Now I've, I send mine through and I tell it to OCR so I can go ahead and search the contents of just about anything. I used to not OCR everything. Maybe I would OCR the first page or maybe I would OCR. They have the feature on the, uh, the S1500 where it will only OCR if you highlight specific things. But now that the processor speeds of the Mac have caught up, I OCR just about everything that goes through now. And I have started OCRing, for example, user manuals. I had a little issue where I had to have my irrigation system redone recently because I added some sod to my backyard. Looks great, by the way. I've got new sod, new patio, new new outdoor set. But I had to reconfigure my sprinklers. And did you know that you can do that? You can change yeah. the way that your sprinklers move back and forth? Welcome to homeownership. Yeah, I had to reconfigure my sprinklers and I had to reconfigure my timers and all that because they had to now hit different areas of the yard. And I remembered when I got my house, of course I didn't have the manual because I don't have any paper, but I remember when I got my house, they gave me this box at closing with all of the user manuals. And I spent that first weekend or so after I unpacked scanning all of those user manuals with my Fujitsu and I had the user manual for my sprinklers and I just typed into my computer you know, sprinkler or something like that. And boom, the user manual popped up. You stick a screwdriver in there and you rotate it depending on where you need the the sprinkler head to go. I am the queen of home ownership now. There you go. I have the power. That's this paperless stuff. We're going to do an updated show on paperless soon. So hang in there. Um, But the Fujitsu scan snap series is, is the way to go. They've supported the Mac for a long time and they support Mac users with some great software um, we'll talk more about it as we do more spots for them over the year, but the software is outstanding. It has bundled software, depending on which one you buy, and you really can't go wrong. If you're looking for a scanner, you're finally thinking about going paperless, uh, go ahead and get yourself a Fujitsu ScanSnap, and then when we do this new paperless show, probably next month, you're going to be all ready to go. And thanks, Fujitsu, for sponsoring the show. Right. You can find more information over at ez.com slash SSMPU. That scans for ScanSnap MPU. Or you can click the link on our website and I'll take you right there.
Okay, so you want to know what the deal is with this this Mac Mini home server? Yeah, you threatened to buy one for years, and I guess you I did. did it. I finally All did. Right. Well, so what's the point of having a home server for a homeowner? It it started for me with this whole I'm cutting the cable thing, and I figured I want this this Mac Mini. Although I didn't really want a Mac Mini based home entertainment system, I wanted this Mac Mini that I could use to connect to my TV so that I could do things like Hulu because you can't do Hulu through the Apple TV and I couldn't do Hulu through my TiVo because I have an older model TiVo. So I wanted to be able to do Hulu and I wanted to be able to watch um, websites, you know, like network shows that are on the network websites through my TV. And I just thought that that would be a nice supplement to my, to my cutting the cable thing. But that enough was not enough to convince me to get this Mac mini. Cause it's kind of expensive. It was like 600, 600 and something bucks. So then I started over a year ago when I was thinking about this process, making a list of all of the things that a home server could do for me. And once I came up with a substantial enough list, I got tipped over the edge and I'm actually using it very, very little connected to the TV and I'm using it more for its server capabilities. So one of the main things it does for me is it's a backup server. And I mean that not in terms of, you know, it, it, it acts as a backup server, but it backs up all of my stuff. So because email is on IMAP, I've got a, an instance of Apple Mail running on this server, and I've got Mail Steward running on this server. So all of my email on a weekly basis, I've got a script set to launch up, or a keyboard maestro script set to launch, and all of my email gets archived into Mail Steward. So my email is getting backed up to Mail Steward, and the Mail Steward database lives on my Drobo, and then that's getting backed up to the cloud. So all of my email is getting archived to Mail Steward and backed up. So that's one source of backup. Uh, Google Docs, for example, we keep a lot of stuff in Google Docs. It's one of the Google services that I use. And there's this great service called CloudPull that will allow you to, we've talked about it before, that will allow you to pull down all of your documents from Google Docs. You can even pull down your Google email now, but I don't I don't use it for that. And CloudPull is one of these apps that's a menu bar applet that you launch and it will run in the background. But I don't like all of these things starting on launch and running on the background on my main machine, which is my MacBook Air. So I've got all this stuff running on my Mac Mini, and I think it's twice a day. CloudPull backs up all of my Google Docs, all of my Google stuff, and it's got a whole list of stuff that it backs up, and it backs that up to the Drobo. And again, you know, the Drobo gets backed up to the multiple drives, and then it gets backed up to the cloud with CrashPlan. I also have an instance of CrashPlan running on my Mac Mini, and they've got this unique service where you can back up to a buddy. So, and that's actually free. So, if you have CrashPlan on your computer, you can back up to my computer, and I can back up to your computer. And we're just using the CrashPlan software to do that. We, like, you become my cloud, and I become your cloud. So, I've got CrashPlan running, and I've got a couple of family members that have very little data. Like, my mom's total user folder is about three gigabytes. It's just maybe four with photos. It's just over the size where you can get, you know how a lot of backup services will give you two gigs for free? Yeah. It's it's just over that size where it won't back up to to that. But it's, you know, it's it's kind of big enough. You know, she's not going to plug an external hard drive in, but I want to make sure that she's backed up. So I put CrashPlan on her machine and she's backing up to my Drobo here at my house. So she's got offsite. I did the same thing with my grandparents' machine. So I have three different computers that are backing up to my house 
and I've set them to back up during the either the daytime hours when I'm not here or the nighttime hours when I'm asleep. So I've got backups going with Crash Plan. So, I'm going to have to get serious about looking at Crash Plan. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that's going on with my server. The other thing that I've got going on is it's running an instance of OpenDNS, that OpenDNS checker that goes up and checks to make sure that your um, dynamic IP address hasn't changed. And if it has, it informs OpenDNS so that you make sure that you're always up to date. I've got an instance of Air Video Server running on there so that I can access my iTunes library from my iPad when I'm out of the house, which is very cool. I've got, you'll appreciate this, I've got OmniFocus running on there. You helped me get this set up so that I can send using the, when you, where you mail to OmniFocus, so that I can yeah. send tasks to my, from my PC at work to OmniFocus. So I've always got an instance of OmniFocus running at home on my server. Um, and then, then they show up on your phone. Since right. you sync back, which exactly. is nice. Uh, I've got, for example, um, Xmark syncing to sync bookmarks. So because I don't use Safari as my main browser, but I want all my bookmarks to sync on my iPhone and my iPad, I have Xmarks set up in Chrome. I have Xmarks for Safari set up on the Mac Mini. As soon as I update a, uh, a bookmark in Chrome, it syncs with the Mac Mini back home within a few minutes, which syncs with my iPad and my iPhone. So all of my bookmarks stay up to date. Let's see what else. I've got Printopia going. And because I've got email running on there, I've got a copy of SpamSiv. And so it's it's server-side spam filtering, but it's my server, if that makes sense. Because SpamSiv yeah. only runs on your local client. As and long now as- that's the first thing you've said that I think you cannot do using like an iMac. Now, why couldn't server- you do that with an iMac? Isn't this based on the Lion server? Is that where it's applying it? Are you using no, are you running I'm, an email I'm not server? Running, on? I'm not running Lion server. Oh, okay. I'm so just you're just using that. it. Okay. Well, then, yeah, you could do that on an iMac as well. Yeah, it's it's just a regular Mac Mini running running Lion. Okay. And so, I've got, so you call it a server, but it's really not running the server software. Right. Okay. We should have made that clear up front. So I've got Apple Mail is open. SpamSiv is running on the iMac. I'm sorry, on the Mac Mini. And therefore, anything that gets sieved off on the Mac Mini gets synced via IMAP to all my other devices. So you don't see it. It doesn't. Right. By the time you check your email on your iPhone, for instance, it's already gone. Right. And the same thing too. You can you know you can set up some client based rules that you can get a lot more specific with rather than server side rules. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, it, it sounds to me like you're using it pretty much the same way I use my running iMac at home. Yeah, it's just nice having a Mac somewhere in the world plugged into the internet doing stuff for you, no Absolutely. matter what. Yeah, and I didn't have that before. I mean, that was that was one of the downsides to only having a MacBook Air is that when it was closed or when it was asleep, it wasn't doing anything for I me. I guarantee it couldn't do you, it was a, a, a fraction of the price of what I paid for this iMac. <laughs> I'm sure because this I'm iMac sure. is loaded, but I love this iMac. It's great. It's great. I love the big screen. I love it all. And I've mentioned this on the show. I'm going to, when they come out with the new uh, MacBook Airs, I mean, assuming, you know, the finances work out, I'm going to get a new MacBook Air, and I'm talking to my office about um, making a deal with them to put an Apple Cinema display over my standing desk. I could just mount it on an arm or something, and that would be really nice because I really love this big screen. Right. Yeah, the other thing that it does that I didn't mention is it it has iTunes running in the background. So the apps that are always on in the background, besides 
the like menu bar apps that launch at login would be iTunes Mail and OmniFocus. So that that iTunes, which has is connected to my full iTunes library, feeds all the Apple TVs in my house. Because, you know, iTunes, the Apple TV can't see it if iTunes isn't running. Yeah. So. All right. Well, see, I was under the impression that you were running the full-on server and, yeah. you know, the wikis and all that other stuff. I never really understood it because it's just you. You know, if you had a bunch of people in the house, maybe. But even then, I'm not sure. I look forward to hearing from some listeners that, that go nuts with, with Lion Server in a home situation. There might be a show in it, I don't know. But uh, I'm curious about it, if nothing else. Yeah, I am too. I just, and for 50 bucks, I've been really tempted to make that leap. I just haven't found a reason that I need it yet. Yeah, I, I'm not sure you do because it's like it's just you. I mean, you, know, you don't have a house full of people. I thought about it for the VPN. Like yeah. when we were at Macworld, but yeah, you know, there there are other options for that if you're only going to use it a couple times a year. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I'd like to talk about, in addition, we, we kind of covered our gear we got at home. Um, let's talk a little bit about when you're on the road. What is it that you have in your bag? Okay. And what is your bag? I think we have the same bag. Mine's a Tom Ben Ristrotro. Am I saying that right? I think it's Ristretto. Ristretto? Okay. Ristretto, yeah. Black. Always black. Yeah, me too. I like it. The uh, I didn't. The, the only complaint I have is the storage panel in the front. Stuff can fall out of there if it gets at an odd angle. They and actually they fix fixed that. that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. But I still have the old one. Maybe me I'll uh, have to do something about that. But the uh, it's a great bag. It's got that really nice, comfortable shoulder strap. And the funny thing about me is... I don't carry much in my in my bag. You know, I carry my MacBook Air and I carry my iPad. I don't carry, for instance, a power cord for my MacBook Air. I figure if I get to the five or six hours and the battery dies, then I'm done working on the computer at least. Oh, that's a good way to think about it. And the um, you know, the more I think about, it, the less I carry. I do have a Mophie juice pack that I I keep in there because. Occasionally, uh, particularly when I'm traveling a lot, that that comes in useful. I've got some stubby cables; they're little tiny cables. I've got to look up the manufacturer. I'm not sure who it is, but they're about um, four inches long. Griffin makes some. Is it Griffin's yeah, mini the cable Griffin kit? Ones. Yeah, yeah, it's the Griffin set, and it's that's all I need. And then um, when I went to the ABA Tech Show, a friend of mine, Mark Metzger, turned me on to this thing. It's called the Kingston Y Drive, W I hyphen Drive. And it is an external SSD drive, and it's got a Wi-Fi base station in it. I guess a Wi-Fi transmitter, I guess would be the better word. But you push a button on it, and it creates a Wi-Fi signal. And then you can connect to the network it creates with your iPad and see anything on it. We saw something like that at Macworld, but it wasn't made by Kensington. It was made by the HyperDrive people. Yeah. so it's, it's Something fun. Cloud FTP, I think. So I guess, I don't know what theirs was called, but this Y drive, I've had it now about a month and I, I really like it. So I've got some additional files on it. Like I said, I, as we record this, I'm preparing for a big mediation tomorrow. In addition to all the stuff on my iPad, I also dumped a bunch of stuff on this Griffin Y drive, their old documents and plans and other stuff. To the extent that it becomes relevant tomorrow, I can just push the button on the Y drive and have it on my iPad. That's kind now, of does fun. It, it, does it come with a separate, a separate app? Yeah, you download an app from the App Store to pair with it. Okay. And then when you plug it into your Mac, it's just a regular external storage drive. 
Okay, so you load it up by plugging into your Mac, and then when you launch it on your iPad, it's a separate app that you launch, and then if you've got a PDF document, for example, you open it up in PDF Pen or yeah. whatever. Well, no, it, actually, you load it up in the app, in the Drive okay. app. But it's got a viewer. You can watch movies and look at files and do all that other stuff. And can you transfer files out of yeah. the app? Yeah. Yeah, you can, you, can, uh, you can share it over. Okay. Well, I think I, I carry around a little more than you do. Um, I've, I, I've got one of those Gridits. You remember Alex Lindsay hooked us up with the Gridits? Yeah, I use that too. And his show? And I just keep a grid it packed. And so everything fits in my grid it. And then my grid it goes back and forth depending on what bag I'm using. If I'm in my, my briefcase for the day, it goes in my briefcase. If I'm in my uh, ristretto, it goes in that. And I do have a couple of different bags I use. My, my main one is the ristretto. I also have a, when I'm, when I'm traveling, particularly when I'm traveling by air and I need something that, that it can be my second bag for a carry on, I have a big Brent Haven backpack that I take just because it has more storage in it and I can fit other things besides just my, um, my MacBook and my iPad and my other things in that bag. And then if I'm just taking my briefcase for work, I have, I think it's called a cadet. I'd have to look. It's just a sleeve. And Tom Ben makes that. Um, so I could basically put my MacBook air in that sleeve and then stick that sleeve in just about any bag that I'm taking. So it will fit in there. Yeah. Um, I've got a fancy pants sleeve. Um, and I don't even remember the name of it, but it's it's leather and it looks very fancy. And it yeah. goes in my briefcase when I need to put my MacBook Air in there, yeah. which is increasingly uh, less often. Yeah. The one thing that I've started using, I recently bought the Plug Bug. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I don't own one, but I saw it. Neat. The Plug Bug is a 10-watt USB adapter that fits on top of your MacBook power adapter and adds a US a 10-watt USB port to your MacBook power adapter. So the idea is you plug in your power adapter to power, it will power this USB port so you can charge not only your MacBook at the same time, but a USB device. And I use the plug bug when I'm traveling and I can either plug my iPhone or my iPad directly into that and it will charge up. But if I'm smart, what I do is I use the plug bug in addition to something called the call pod, which is this spider looking device where you can order different types of adapters and I've got a couple of dot connectors and I've got a couple of um, micro USB and a couple of mini USB and they all come out of this thing like, like an octopus tentacle. And so this, this little round disc with all these tentacles coming out and then you plug your devices in there and then it charges via USB. So what's that called? Call pod. Call pod. Yep. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Because it's a it's a it's a circular disc that looks like a little bit of a UFO, and then you stick the different adapters in it. So, for example, I have two thirty pin dot connectors. I have two mini or micro USB ports. One one plugs one charges my Mophie juice pack. One charges my um, Zag keyboard, and then I also have a mini USB power charger that plugs my Richard Solo. So, if you can envision it on the hotel room. I've got all of these devices in a circular pattern, my iPhone, my iPad, my keyboard case, my, you know, two ju- my juice pack, my Richard Solo. I've got all these devices arranged in a circular pattern into this call pod with a single USB cable coming out of it. And I plug that into the plug bug. I can power all of my stuff off of one power, power plug. 
Yeah, and we did a show, it was episode 22, where we talked about traveling with your Mac, and we went into a lot of gory detail in some of those those travel things. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to go into it now. We're already into the show over an hour. But I do have a thing. I It's my, my travel box. It's a little plastic bin, and I've got a whole bunch of little gizmos in there. So whenever I travel, I just make a point of looking through that to see if there's anything in there I need. It's got things like, you know, connectors for the iPod or the iPhone or the Mac to a projector. It's got an extra iPhone cord in there. Um, you know, all the various little bits and pieces you may need when you travel. And I don't carry those regularly, but when I do make a trip of any significant length, I'll go through that box before I leave and usually pull a few things out of there. And I have a larger size grid in there as well that I just put in my brief in my briefcase or my luggage when I travel. Yeah. Uh, also, if you're listening at home and you want to get a plug bug, I am putting a link in the show notes. And if you're going to search for it yourself, be very careful about typing this oh, term because dear. I am. I I don't even want to think about that. Well, I, I I'm I think I need some therapy now. <laughs> Just look for it on Amazon. Yes, or our show notes. Which yes, are our show safe. notes, which will be safe. Okay. Oh dear. Anyway. They'll be in our show notes. Um, yes. The plug bug is very G-rated. It's cute. Very okay. cute. I, I okay. think we need to move on. Moving on. Sometimes I do take, if I'm, if I'm on a trip by myself, I, uh, and I'm going to be in a hotel room by myself for a couple of days, I will take my Apple TV and an HDMI cable. Because a lot of hotels now will let you um, plug in via HDMI to their TVs. When are you going to take time to watch an Apple TV on a trip? You do you have time for that, really? I have on occasion, you know, like if I'm if I'm at a, I go to this conference every year for work where I'm the only person in my office that goes, and from like five o'clock on, we're we're done, and I, you know, I do work for a couple of hours, and then, you know, I I may watch something like from you know nine till I go to bed or something. I, I couldn't imagine bringing an Apple TV on a trip with me unless it was something I needed to use to hook up a wireless iPad in a presentation or something. But have you seen how small it is? I mean, yes, you have. But and yeah, just I, throw it in the bag. An Apple TV and an HDMI cable. I, I know, but I have a sickness about traveling. I don't want to bring anything I absolutely don't need. And uh, I, I, I did MacWorld for seven days, one carry-on. I could. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't check bags. I, I just can't imagine bringing it. And I would watch, I guess if I wanted to watch a movie, I'd put it on my iPad. But after years of doing this, both with the iPad and the iPhone, of loading movies on before going on a trip and coming back and not having watched any of them, I don't even bother anymore. It just seems like when I travel, I'm too busy. And I usually am, but yeah. sometimes when I'm alone, I get lonely in my hotel room. It is. It is nice, though. The Apple TV is starting to become a presentation tool, and... There are times when it is worth packing because you're going to be standing in front of a group of people and it's really cool to walk around with an iPad and no no cord. That's cool. That's probably another show. Unrelated, did you uh did you listen to Horace's show last week about how he did a sim cough? Not yet. It's, it's very in my cool. List. Yes, it's in very my list. cool. Anyway. Anything else on travel? I mean, I know we just kind of skimmed over it, but I'm I'm going to put a link in the show notes to um I did a I did a blog post on this that kind of details everything I take in my my travel bag. Okay. So. Anything else exciting worth talking about? 
No, do you want to do our uh, do you want to do our last sponsor and then talk about our iPhones and our iPads? Okay, let's do that. No. So our last sponsor for this episode is Pixelmator, and Pixelmator quite simply makes beautifully designed, easy-to-use, fast and powerful image editing for the Mac. And I have started, you know, I've gotten rid of all of the other image editors on my Mac. I, I used to use some other heavy, bloated image editors that weren't, you know, just, I had to keep trying to figure out exactly what I needed to do and, you know, find a dozen different ways to do them. And I finally just got rid of them and I'm using Pixelmator for everything and I could not be happier. It is lean, it is clean, it is mean, and it just gets the job done. I have yet to run into a task that I've needed to do with an image editor that I couldn't get accomplished with Pixelmator. Yeah, it's a great application. I never got into that big one that everybody uses because it was always so expensive I couldn't afford it. And uh, so this is really my first exposure to a full-on image editing application. Um, I do like the stuff you can do in Aperture, but this you know goes far beyond. But it plugs into Aperture as your external editor, and I've been you know dutifully going through their tutorials at uh, Pixelmator.com/tutorials, and I recommend you do the same thing if you're you know if you're interested in making your pictures look better. And you know the nice thing about Pixelmator is it was designed from the ground up for the for the Mac. It uses not only the CPU, but the GPU, the graphics processing unit, which means it's wicked fast in applying these uh, effects to your photos. Um, One of my favorite things to do with it is lately I've started doing some antiquing of pictures, which is kind of fun. We have some old family pictures, and I send them off to my sister, and I'll make them look kind of antiquey before they go out. And they've got a, a tutorial on the website that shows you exactly how to do it, it's no trouble at all. And um, uh, another thing that I like to do with it is the sharpening of images because sometimes I don't get my image just the way I want them. They Once again, you just go through a few simple tools in Pixelmator. You can sharpen them up and send them right back to Aperture or iPhoto. If you're just using iPhoto, in fact, I think this is a great addition to iPhoto because then you know, you don't, if you don't want to spend the money for something like Aperture but you want to have some additional tools that Apple's not going to ever support, in my opinion – uh, you're in, you know, with 30 bucks. Yeah. And it is an introductory price of twenty nine ninety nine. So if you're on the fence, do I need it? Do I not? If you think you're ever going to need an image editor to do more than what you can do in the basic cropping and, and things like that with Aperture or with iPhoto, go ahead and pick up Pixelmator. Yeah. 40 tools, 40 image tools. 15 color correction tools, 150 filters. I mean, you can do a lot with your images here. And because they've done such a great job with this tutorial website, it's not something where you just buy it and you start scratching your head. You go to the website, you watch the video tutorial, and you're doing it in 10 minutes. So you can pick up Pixelmator in the Mac App Store. It's easy. You download it once. It's on all of your machines. uh, And you're done. And then you can start editing away. So thank you to Pixelmator uh, for your support of Mac Power users and get to editing. All right, iPhones and iPads. I probably get more questions about what do I have on my iPhone and my iPad than anything else. What about you? Yeah, but once again, I don't have much. Me neither. Well, you've got the bumper and the invisible shield. That's it. I'm very simplistic. Yeah, that's two more things than I have on my iPhone. Oh, you don't have anything. You have a naked iPhone? Yes, I'm running naked. You know, I'm going to get flack about this because I'm just going to go there. 
I have an iPhone 4 and I actually have antenna issues. I have extremely weak. There was this whole flack about was the antenna thing overblown or wasn't it? But I will tell you that my performance of my iPhone dropped significantly when I went from the iPhone 3G to the iPhone 4 in terms of reception. And I honestly believe I I can sit there and hold my bare iPhone in my hand and watch the antenna go from five, four, three, two, one to no signal with, you know, a minimal amount of time. And I believe that it is because my AT&T coverage in my area is so poor that it just takes very, very little to interrupt it. And I don't necessarily blame Apple for that problem. I think the the main problem lies with AT&T for having such horrific coverage in my area. But it was enough that I normally run a naked iPhone with just an invisible shield that I had to get the bumper because if I didn't, I was having dramatically different call quality. It's the difference in for me and sitting in my office of being able to make a call and not being able to make a call. Yeah. Well, my daughter has my old four and we just never had any problems with that stuff. It never was an issue. So, and she doesn't have a bumper on it currently either, but it may be, you know, I'm sure you're not alone. I mean, we saw the videos of people experiencing that problem, but I just don't happen to have it where I live. And I've never been into these invisible shields and products like that because I don't like the texture of the touch on it. And Mm -hmm. since it's so intimate, you're touching this thing all day, really. Um, the uh i'm not i just don't like that texture and frankly i've never had any scratching on i've owned iphones now since what 2007 i've never had a scratch on my glass i actually like the invisible shield for the texture to me it adds stickiness is not the right word to me it adds just enough resistance that i don't feel like i'm going to drop it without the invisible shield the iphone was a little slippery for me yeah so. Oh, whatever. I mean, I know a lot of people use them. Yeah. Um, I do have, because of so, the poor AT&T coverage in my area, and believe me, it didn't get any better when I moved. I actually stood on this lot before I purchased it with my phone in the air, and I said, I have three bars. I can buy this lot. And um, now that I live here, I've got one bar or less. I don't know what yeah. happened. I think it followed me. I may be wrong in this. It's been a couple months now, but I think Merlin was running around with a an invisible shield or something on his iPhone at Macworld. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, it's just not for me. I don't. I don't like that thing. Um, I had one on my very first iPhone because everybody was all freaked out about it, and then I saw the YouTube video where the guy was scratching the keys on the glass, mm-hmm. and nothing was happening. I'm like, all right. And then uh, from 2007, I've always had my front left pocket as my iPhone pocket. You know, I don't put anything else in that pocket, and. I just don't have a trouble. Uh, you know, where guys get in trouble is the uh, shirt pocket. You know, you put the phone in your shirt pocket. Oh, and then you bend over. It goes in the toilet or oh, it dear. falls on the concrete or something. And I, that's verboten. Every time I catch myself about to do that, I don't do that. Mm, that's a good deal. So I've trained myself. I don't know if that's good or not, but the machines are training us. But but I, I don't put anything on my iPhone. Same thing with the iPad. I've, I've just got the the basic uh, Apple cover. On the what what they call it the, the smart cover, cover. Yeah. yeah. I had I had an orange one when I got my new I, iPad. My wife ended up taking my old one, and she wanted the same cover. And they don't sell orange ones anymore, so I couldn't get another orange one. So I ended up with gray, dark gray or light gray. Dark. Yeah, I've got a dark gray cover on mine as well. the The polyurethane one, not the leather one, right? Yeah. Okay, that's what I've got, and then I also have the invisible shield front and back on my iPad. I also have the Ristretto bag for my iPad as well. So if I'm just going to Starbucks or going somewhere 
And I'm just going to take my iPad. I'll throw it in there. My iPad 2 didn't have any cover on it for the year I had it. And there's it looks like new. It looks fine. Back. I mean, I'm kind of careful. It, when I put it in the ristretto, I always make sure to put it in carefully. I don't throw a bunch of stuff in the pouch that holds the iPad. Uh, but I'm not that careful. I, I think those things are pretty resilient. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I did recently, and this is a new addition for me, I actually put a blog post up about this, is I picked up a keyboard for my iPad. And after much debate, I ultimately, um, at Ed Dale's recommendation, went with the Zag Keys Flex Keyboard for the iPad, which is one of these slightly compressed separate keyboards that has its own little carrying case. And um, the ultimate reason I went with it is because it's very compact. It's very portable. It will charge via micro USB. So it works with that call pod adapter that I've got. And about 90% of my usage is without the keyboard. So I didn't want a keyboard case that was with me all the time. I wanted something that I could just grab when I wanted it and leave it at home when I didn't. And I also like it because it has a, a manual on off switch. So you don't have to worry about accidentally activating it. Yeah. We did a show with Harry McCracken, and he really made a case for using that, uh, was it Zagfolio? The Zagfolio, yeah. But I think he's the kind of person who 50 plus percent, and maybe significantly more than that, of his usage of his iPad, he is using the keyboard, and that's just not me. Yeah, me either. And and with the new iPad 3, I'm a big fan of the uh, speech-to-text, which I use all the time. So I'm not sure. I, I was all hot to buy one after I talked to Harry and then him and I spent some time at Macworld together and I was looking at his and I decided to wait because I knew the new iPad was going to come out and I didn't know if it was going to change. I didn't want to spend 80 bucks to buy one of these things and then have a new iPad in two months that didn't fit in it. But I'm told that the, uh, the new iPad fits in the old Zag folio. It's pretty but tight though. Is it? And, uh, yeah. I just, you know, I just still haven't got motivated to buy one. I'm, I'm pretty happy with just using the, Speech to text, the on-screen keyboard. I've I've become much more adept at than I thought I would, and uh, I really like. I have a Bluetooth Apple keyboard I keep in my trunk. Yeah, and, and you've uh, got so one of the origami cases for it, don't you? Yeah, it's perfect. They, that origami case is awesome because it 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 protects the keyboard. One of the things I had when I was carrying around this keyboard is I started the keys were popping off it occasionally, and I had to put them back on. And now I've got the origami that protects the keyboard, and it creates a nice little platform. Or the iPad, for instance, my uh, one of my daughters is taking a, a night class at the local college, and I'll go over there because it's near my office, which is about thirty minutes from my home. So I'll go over there and uh, go to Starbucks or whatever, and spend a couple hours in there one night a week, and write a bunch of posts for Max Sparky or whatever else I'm cooking on, and just with the iPad and the Zag and the um not the Zag the uh, the Origami and the iPad uh, Apple Bluetooth keyboard. That's very cool. There's something to be said for the unitasking nature of the iPad. Um, maybe it's my lack of discipline with a Mac. I don't know. But the uh, it is nice to sometimes work there and just have that byword screen open or wherever I'm working and just, just start typing. I agree. Um, the, the only other accessory I really have for, for my iPhone and iPads and all is I do have one of those iHome um, clock radio docks that I really like. It's just yeah. replaced my alarm clock, but that's about it. Yeah. I have a, I have a mini external battery. It's a hyper Mac battery. They make one for the iPad. So it charges the iPad. I think uh, like a couple times or one time and it charges the iPhone like five times. And I keep that in my trunk 
and I charge it every couple of weeks. And mm. I, I rarely need it, but it is nice when I travel. Once again, just to know that I have that extra power um, that makes me rest easier because I am so, you know, technology hooked. I would like to see a picture of your trunk. You know, most people have emergency kits in their trunk where they have like, you know, fix a flat and a flashlight and, um, you know, chains in case they need to tow their car and, uh, and jumper cables. And, and you've got batteries and portable hard drives and keyboards and extra cases and yeah, all crazy. kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it's like the Batman. I've, I've got a Subaru Forester. It's, I don't know. It's almost 10 years old now, but Subaru is a really great company. One of the things they do is in the trunk of that car, there's a, there's a well for the spare tire, but there's all this space around it. And then the extra space, like for the jack and whatnot, they've got all these nice little flaps that you can lift up and there's tons of dead space under the floor of the trunk. So you just open up those flaps and I start stuffing things in it. And I do have first aid and stuff like that in there too, but I also have technology first aid. (laughs) <laughs> and it's great having that stuff in there. Like for instance, I have a um a, a an AC adapter for my Mac that I put in there. You know, cuz I said I don't carry an AC adapter with me. Well, I kind of lied because I I have one in the trunk and I I pull it out of there and I actually need it maybe once every 3 months. But why carry it around with you every day? Uh just for the, you know, the once every 3 months when you can just leave it in the car. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe I need to make a go bag for my car. Yeah, it's nice. Okay. I don't I don't know that I have all that extra space in my trunk. I I just have like an an egg crate in my trunk that has jumper cables and and a toolbox. I have a toolbox and jumper cables in my trunk. And and I didn't go buy an extra AC adapter. I just used the one that came with the MacBook Air, but I just don't ever use it. Well, I guess I have an extra one at home because I can't plug it. I charge it overnight at home. But it's it's nice. Okay, you know, I feel like we've we've killed this now. <laughs> it's just an hour and a half on my clock. I, I didn't think we'd have 30 minutes, but here we are again. All right. Well, hopefully this has been useful to somebody. You want to you want to cover some feedback and then let's get out of here? Yeah, definitely. We you know, we've been giving Google a hard time. We did a whole show on dumping Google and uh there have been defenders to the rescue. Uh Daniel wrote in and said, you know, if you just get a $50 a year Google Apps Premier account, a lot of the privacy concerns we have go away. He's got a good point. You yeah, know. And he wrote in and he actually said that there is, and I don't know this, but he said that there is a different terms of use in terms of service if you pay for the account. I don't know no, that. No, there is. But I, I just confirmed it knowing. today. Yeah. yeah. Just, Ethan Schoonover, who I first appreciate, who did the, you know, the solarized color scheme the guy who was really, you know, the first one to made the kinkless GTD stuff and mm-hmm. ultimately led to my beloved OmniFocus. He just uh, tweeted to me today and he pointed out the link for the different terms of service. So they're different. And uh, that's one way if you're concerned about the stuff and you, you're hooked on Google, you know, pay him five bucks a month. Yeah. It's not that much. You got a question about uh, Vlad wrote in and wanted to know about a note to self alternative. You mentioned uh, a previous iOS app called note to self and he's been using it, but apparently the service isn't available in Europe anymore. I don't know if it's, it's still working in the United States, I, I don't but think have it you works found anywhere. an alternative? Yeah, I don't think it works anywhere, but with Siri, um, that got rid of a lot of my need for that app. You know, now it's integrated into the app. The main thing I use note to self for was capturing tasks when I'm driving around something I want to add to OmniFocus and OmniFocus now has Siri integration, which works great. You know, 
Uh, I did a whole video on it. You can watch it. But so to answer Vlad's question, I, I don't really have an answer. Although, um, you know, I'm lucky because I have the new iPhone that has Siri. Um, with the old iPhone 4, I'm not sure what I'd do. I'd have to look into it. There's a new app out called Drafts, and it allow it's kind of like an inbox for your iPhone, and you can add text, and from there you can s- send it out to places like OmniFocus or a text editor or an email, and that kind of works. But once again, that's not capturing your voice. I guess you could use just a basic recorder app as well. Even the, the recorder app that comes with it will sync over through iTunes. Antron wrote in and asked about a folder sync option. And we were talking about the spring cleaning episode, and he was wondering if there's a Mac app that's out for 10.6.8 that can clone a folder as opposed to inc- cloning a whole hard drive or clone a set of folders. And he says, I'm looking for something like SuperDuper, but for folders that has a smart update feature. Um, I think something like Carbon Copy, I'm sorry, I think something like um, ChronoSync will work for what he needs. ChronoSync has the ability to to sync folders, and I've been using that for years. I um, We also heard from uh, from Woody and asking about CloudOn. And CloudOn is the service that allows you, it runs a virtualized server, access to Microsoft Office. I think that's interesting. And I know their basic service is free, but then they've got a premium service for there. Uh, I haven't used it, but a lot of people are raving about it. I know Walt Marsberg and David Pogal did reviews on it, so it's interesting. Uh, I'm not raving about it. I used it. I tried to to deal with a couple apps on it. It it just doesn't really work for me. Um, For most of the stuff I do on the iPad, and I, I wrote about this in iPad at work, I feel like it's a great device to write text on. Um, the only feature really missing that is a big deal to to me in my world is tracking changes. Track changes. And so you could run Word and use the track changes, but trying to manipulate that stuff with your finger on an iPad screen using what Microsoft expects to be the mouse interface, which has you know basically a one pixel um, target area. It just it's doesn't tough. work for me very well. And it's it's too slow. I would much rather spend my time doing something else productive with my iPad and leave tracking changes to when I sit down at a computer. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I, I'm not a big fan of it, honestly. And, you know, it's funny, Microsoft, as we record the show, Microsoft just announced they're going to start charging an extra license fee for the virtualized access to their software from, lap, from a tablet computers like the iPad. I think they view it as a probably a strategic move as they come out with their own tablet operating system to try and keep people off iPads. I think it's a mistake, but the, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm just not a big fan of that whole idea of, you know, putting windows on it to run it. Uh, that being said, I mean, there are virtualized solutions and, and we, uh, we've even talked on the show in our remote access show about ways to log in to run a windows computer from it. But, um, I just don't think it's that useful for, the detail type stuff like tracking changes or the things that are not already available on the iPad. Brian wrote in about DuckDuckGo on LaunchBar, and we talked about different ways that you can use DuckDuckGo as an alternative to Google. And he says that his favorite method is what actually my favorite method is for doing search anyway, and that's just to use LaunchBar. So what you do is you set up DuckDuckGo as a service within LaunchBar, and then you set a keyboard shortcut that will activate it, and away you go. 
Yeah, and I, I talked about that in Max Spark. I even explained how to do it. And we also heard from um, Kevin. Kevin wrote in about DevonSphere, which is a way to search your computer. Um, and I think the Devon products in general are something we really haven't given much attention to on this show because I think neither one of us are big advocates of their stuff. And, I just don't think we're big users of their stuff. Yeah, and that's just the, the point. I've never really sunk in on it, but I'm looking at their products. So we may do something about what they do sometime in the future because it is very different from most of the other software solutions available, and some people really, really love it. So uh, we're, we're keeping that in mind, and we appreciate those emails. Um, uh, Ken wrote in about uh, Hazel and sandboxing, saying, hey, you know, the Hazel show is great, but what's going to happen with sandboxing? I think Apple's backed off a little bit on the whole sandboxing thing. If you see the mountain lion changes, it seems like they've got kind of an alternate solution, at least partially. With Gatekeeper. And I, I really hope that they don't do anything to hurt my beloved Hazel. If they do, you know, we're all going to be upset. Um, so hopefully, and I would imagine that would include some people that work at Apple too. So hopefully Hazel will be just fine. Yeah. And my understanding is the sandboxing rules primarily apply to the Mac app store. And that's one of the reasons if you look on the Hazel website, they talk about this is one of the reasons why Hazel is not available in the Mac app store is because it doesn't follow all the Mac app store rules and we don't want to put it in there and then only to have to pull it out. So my understanding is that Hazel will not be in the Mac app store for those reasons based on the current rules. But I don't know that sandboxing is going to necessarily be a, a problem in Mountain Lion on non-app stores. I think it's just our, our app store products. I think it's just going to be potentially an issue depending on how you have your gatekeeper settings set. All right, David. Well, I think that's that's going to about wrap us up unless you have anything else you want to add about your setup. No, I'm happy. I think we talked about it enough. Um, looking forward to hearing from listeners what they like, what they don't like. Uh, if you have feedback, you can get it to us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah, and you can find links to everything that we talked about in this show over on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send a, a Twitter comment to at MacPowerUsers. And if you're interested, Katie is at Katie Floyd and I'm at Mac Sparky. Yes, and of course, we love your iTunes comments. So please, if you have a moment, take a moment to rate the show on iTunes. Or if you have two moments, please take a moment to leave us a comment on iTunes because new ratings and new comments uh, mean that the show gets noticed in iTunes, the show may get featured in iTunes, and that always equals new listeners. So we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Also, we uh, want to thank our sponsors for the show, Pixelmator, 1Password, and Fujitsu for supporting the show and helping us bring it to you. All right, and we will be back next week with another Workflows guest, so stay tuned.